Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Where are we, Ned? Um, on the Mediterranean coast in, in Turkey, Antalya. Uh, which is uh, a surprising place for us to find each other after a few months of kind of isolated podding and being locked down in our houses and stuff. Welcome. Thanks, Ned. I don't, know why, I don't know why it's my responsibility to welcome you to Turkey. It's not like I own, but what I mean is welcome, welcome to my world a little bit, my world of accidental tourism. But that's exactly what this is. When you called me up last week, I was... At first, I was like, well, that's come out of the blue. Tour of Antalya. Never even heard of it. And... Then I looked at the map and I thought, well, I've never been to Turkey. I'm not, it's been a long winter. And actually, I thought about it, I thought it's a great privilege to get invited to come and do something like this. And be to a place I've never been before and, and come with you because I know we just do random stuff around the race. <laughs> Hit the ground running already this morning, haven't we? <laughs> so it's a um, couple of hours until the race starts, or about an hour to... What's the time now? Oh, I've still got my watch on, on British time. 5 to 11. So the race starts in about an hour and a quarter. It's only shorty. It's only a shorty. It's 144k or something like that today. Uh, and it'll probably end in a bunch sprint. It's got a bit of a climb in the middle. They kind of go inland because that's the breathtaking thing about Antalya, which is on the coast, David, that took me by surprise and took you by surprise this morning when the sun came up. It's surrounded by a really very substantial mountain range, isn't it? Snow-peaked. Snow-peaked mountains. And it's incredibly windy as well. I'm not sure if listeners can hear that. Yeah, I drew back the curtains this morning, so I arrived late last night, and and it's stunning. There is just the, the bay and and properly snow-peaked mountains on the other side, which I, I definitely did not expect. I, and it, actually, I don't know why I'd be surprised. I have no expectations. I haven't really thought about where Antalya is or... What there is. We've got to do the history bit later as well. Yeah, I will. We'll go into that later when I've got to be a bit more considered about it, actually, and do a little bit more research, I'll be quite honest. But, you know, one thing that, one little, you know, is it history thing? No, it's more of a nomenclature thing, is because um, it confused me at first. But Antalya, the city of Antalya, which is the fifth biggest city in Turkey, or fourth, something like that, big, sprawling kind of metropolis, but is, um, it's got nothing to do with Anatolia. Do you know what Anatolia is? Rings a bell. Anatolia is um, what is, I think, what is sometimes referred to as Asia Minor. It is basically Turkey in its entirety. But it's, no, not in its entirety. It's the western side of Tur- the western chunk of Turkey that almost, if you think about it, if you kind of like close your eyes and imagine how Turkey looks on a map, it's almost like a peninsula that sticks out. And, you know, you've got the Black Sea at kind of one end and then the Mediterranean on the other and the Sea of Marmara. The, the, the peninsular aspect of Turkey is, is Anatolia, uh, Western Turkey. And um, it's as big as a... I mean, in some ways, it's not as big as a continent, but it's a massive sort of country in its own right. But Antalya and Anatolia are not connected. They're two separate words. How are you? Hello. Yeah. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Um... So yeah, but all that all that delight to come. So yeah, I found some quite interesting stuff out about this area. But we need to track down the medieval part. That was my attraction. One of my attractions coming was the. But we have no idea where it is. We've been riding up and down the promenade on our tandem this morning. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and it was like when we turned up to the bike stand outside the hotel. Got really excited. Got really excited. There were lo- well, there were loads of bikes, and we looked at the tandem. And I'm like, no, we can't take that. Let's have some dignity. And they went through three or four bikes, and none of them were really working. And then I just, we were just like, you know what? Let's take the tandem. It's the first time I've ever ridden a tandem. Yeah. Forty-five years old. Yeah, you? <laughs> I'm fifty-two. I've never. And you, but I loved it. I loved the fact that you just there wasn't even a discussion. You got on the front. That wasn't even negotiable. And no. I'm, but I'm really glad. At first, I thought uh, I'd quite like to be on the front because I can see where I'm going and all that sort of thing and be in control. But then, like within about thirty seconds, I kind of relaxed into it because on the back of a tandem, you are. Um, 
you have all you're a passenger but in the, in the purest sense of the word you have occasional responsibilities to deliver power at key moments which i hope i did lived up to that but other than that you are um stripped of all the responsibilities that normally go with life you know you you can't get off you can't you know you can't see where you're going you can't break or change gear or contribute in any way other than the, the raw delivery of power from time to time it's like commentary because you're piloting in commentary and I just get to sort of passenger along and come in deliver power <laughs> yeah yeah I'm the, I'm the co-rider yeah yeah it was good though so we took this rather clunky tandem up to try and find a, a cafe which I'm not going to say what the name of it is because it's all embargoed yet but the cafe bears the name of my next book so I thought that's, that's a throw people. that's a photo opportunity yeah, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not saying what the well, exactly. The cafe. Well, thereby hangs the tale. One I probably can't tell because it's all very, very embargoed. Um, so we went about a mile, mile, probably a mile. Yeah, about a mile. We're bang on a mile. Um, blown on by this very strong tailwind up to uh, do a bit of a recon. And, and it's a bike race thing, isn't it, that we commented on. We're in a seaside resort, essentially, Antalya, big seaside resort. I think a lot of, I think I'm right in saying a lot of, Turkish people come on holiday here, which is not dissimilar to, although this is much bigger, it's not dissimilar to the start and finish towns of Tirreno Adriatico, which isn't that far away, is it? It's just a few weeks away. Um, San, San Benedetto del Tronto, which is the finish line, and uh, Lido di Camaiore, which is the start line, uh, which I've been to, you've been to many times. And, but it's similar, isn't it? Because bike races always come to seaside resorts when they're all shut. Yeah. <laughs> in Tirreno, you always start in Sorrento. And that was like epic. That was one of my first big pro races in 1997. And they still had the old grandiose, huge hotels from like the Belle Epoque and Sorrento. And they were just, it was like The Shining, just yeah. empty and just ghostly. And I think that's, yeah, you were saying as we were riding out, because we were all enthusiastic about just riding out and finding a cafe and everything was closed. And, but it, we found this place. Yeah. Not everywhere. So it's all right. And you've ordered an Americana and a cappuccino. Which that's my standard. I, I kind of do that. Is it cappuccino is the kind of softener? It's like it's like a starter. Yeah. In Americano, you can just cause cappuccino you have to drink quite quickly, otherwise it gets cold. Yeah. And then, it's, then you can nurse the Americano. Yeah. yeah. Maybe five kilos. Yeah. I can absorb it. Do you know it's so strange though because automatically I've slipped into this thing where I'm not going to drink coffee here. I don't really drink coffee at home either. I'm not going to drink coffee here because I, I come here Jeez, and I mate. love. I love tea, but then it's just an automatic, impulsive cultural thing because I don't drink black tea back home. There's no reason why I shouldn't, but I come here and it just seems entirely appropriate. It's really refreshing and lovely, aren't they? Just the right amount. Although I've had about six of them so far this morning. Yeah, reckon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. We can commentate. We can do some recording from the commentary box. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna be. I care. No, no, no. No, the authorities. Oh, I see, yeah. So, no, no, no. They're like, they're, we're not going to get told off by Carolyn. No, Carolyn won't tell us off. Yeah, no, so no, that's no. what I mean. No, no, of course we care. But I just no, mean... Excuse me, can I have a, one more? Thank you very much. Close to the final kilometre now, uh, Bardiani CSF riding just on the coattails of uh, Alpes and Fenix, who now charge to the front. Alpes and Fenix, where is Moretzko, their sprinter? Not sure he's there. They might have switched tactic and be riding for someone else on their team. Could well be uh, that they are looking or thinking about Simon De Heers. Oh, oh. big crash brings down most of the bunch. There's a group of some 40, 50 who've got caught the right side of that, and they'll be battling out for victory. But half the peloton there size down when the crash in the middle of the pack just destroyed uh, destroyed the chances of most of the peloton there. Well, that's going to simplify the life of the sprinters because a lot of those riders could have come swamping back up. But there you can see Alberson Phoenix are now just letting go. They're letting go of that lead out. But that crash has changed everything. Everybody looking for wheels now. You cannot put your nose into the wind this far out waiting waiting to unleash their sprint Matt Gibson a little bit caught out there trying to look for the wheel of the uh, man from Bardiani CSF as Alpes and Fenix now come off the wheel Alpes and Fenix battling out for victory oh. that is
it's tight. Tight between the two riders as they come across the line. Uh, it's from Alpha Synthetics. That was Moretzko. And the rider he was battling for alongside him was Matteo Matalucci from Gazprom Rusvelo, the Italian. Those two riders, hard to say. I've got a feeling Moretzko might just have timed that ride. Just if so. I mean, that, that is going to come down to a photo finish. He was coming up Moretzko. But uh, that was a brilliant ride from uh, Malicelli. Malicelli. It's, uh, he was just, he forced the hand of Moretzko there. Well, um, that was my first commentary of 2022. The commentator's job, the lead commentator, David, as I'm sure by now you're aware, is to at least call the right name of the right rider over the line. That's the prerequisite. That's what you're paying the big bucks for. Didn't do it. Yeah, but it wasn't wasn't your fault, though. We watch replays over and over again for 10 minutes. And even the... the protagonists had no idea if they'd won or not, which is very rare. No, that's true. But I would say this, that the protagonists um, being Jakub Moretzko and uh, Matteo Maluccelli at least knew that they were Jakub Moretzko and Matteo Maluccelli. Ah. And, and I figured out that it was Matteo Maluccelli, but then completely misnamed him. I didn't notice. No, nor did I at first, but I've listened back to it now and... What did you call him? Some version of Malicelli that isn't Malicelli. Matalucci? I think I called, well, I I think I called him Matalucci. I always had that problem and with then Italian, I what you do with the I or the E after the C. So do I. Is it Ch or is it K? Oh, that, yeah. Uh, that, CH. That's CH very common. Cool. Yeah. So a good example C. of that is Giulio Ciccone. Nice. Isn't it? Yeah. Chiandri. Chiandri. Chiapucci. Chiapucci. Um, Cipollini. Cipollini. <laughs> yeah. Mario. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, it was Moretzko. So I got that bit right. I got half of it. Right. I got half of it right. It was okay. The coverage wasn't great, was it? It was a helicopter shot. But, uh, no, they, I mean, yeah, it was good though. It was I mean, good. It's very so beautiful. Th- let me ask you about your experience of world feed commentary, Dave. It's very different from commentating for ITV, and that might. Yeah. Which is all you've you've not you've not comment. Oh, you've no no. You've worked with the BBC, haven't you? I've worked with BBC. Yeah. Um, and ITV, I've never done World Feed, and World Feed is, it's so UCI, I, I, is it a, a prerequisite that they, if you have, they, they have to supply Gosh. commentary for UCI? Is that I, what the I World Feed is? I can't imagine that it is, but I, th- I don't think it is a UCI regulation. I don't. Maybe. So to simplify it, so it we're, we're in Turkey, and there's, there's two little porter cabins. There's one that's... Turkish commentary, two Turkish commentators. Are they they their they're their main commentators, I guess, in Turkey? Yeah, I think they're I think they're doing both their Yeah, they're they're, they're talking on the yes, I don't know. I don't so know. they're Eurosports they're and we were Eurosport. we were World Feed. Now the thing with World Feed, what I am slightly accustomed to from working with great institutions like ITV and BBC is you have a director in your ear. Yeah. There are breaks. Oh, there's that as well. Yeah. There's some form of order. Structure. Structure. Mm-hmm. Whereas we just get in the box and talk. Yeah. That's it. And no one helps us. No. Um, no, you're cast adrift a bit. So it's um, it's pretty rudimentary stuff, but it's great fun. It's good fun. It's it good is fun. just literally. You we just got to roll with it. Like, I hope I, yeah. you know, appropriately kind of uh, led you to load your expectations of kind of you, you knew what you were getting yourself into didn't you I guess. Uh, yeah, no I know exactly what I got myself into and I, the reason I came here because you asked me last week um, not as your first choice <laughs> no wait no 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 that's really unfair you were my only choice I I was booked for the gig at really yeah. late notice yeah I was offered it no I was offered it and I, I thought to myself accidental tourism yeah I mean I, so here's the thing I don't and it winds Kath up I think, understandably, that I'm not great at taking holidays. Yeah. Because, yeah. Um, well, let's go somewhere that we've not been and do what exactly? <laughs> like, wander, wander around and, and, and like, because you've I made an active choice to go there, because that's your, 
decision. You're under you place yourself under a lot of pressure to kind of have a good time and get a lot yeah. out of it. Culturally. We're going to have a good time. And it's going to enrich us because it's an interesting place. Yeah. We're and, going to that museum. And we're going to do so exactly all of that. And, and it's a whole business of because I chose it. Now the great thing about the accidental tourism of I'll take this job is I don't really feel compelled um compelled to come away with all those things. But I invariably do. Well, and it takes me to places I would never consider coming. Well, that was because I, I was going through in my head pros and cons last week in regards to coming. And because it was a last minute invitation. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I've never been to Turkey. Yeah. And it's income, which is great. And it's, I had no idea where Antalya was. And I thought, you've got to be kidding yourself. So first thing you did was put it on Google Maps, yeah? We're on Google Maps, and right. I thought, and I looked at the medieval things, and I read a little bit about it. Not not enough. You can give us the whole history of this place. No, I can't. A little bit. I'll you give did. you a little bit that interests me. You did, after, yeah. our, after our tandem ride this morning. Yeah. Um, it all came flooding out. It all came flooding out, and you need to repeat <laughs> that. Okay. But I thought, it's actually a great privilege to have this opportunity. Yeah, it is. It's a great privilege. It really is. It and really I thought, is. you know what? Don't be... I know there's all different things going on, but, and, and it was really funny because I was messaging with Nicole when I was traveling yesterday. I underestimated how far it was to get here. Yeah. It's I left my house at 9am, 9am yesterday, Wednesday, and got here at 11.43 in the evening. Yeah. It was a bit of a haul. It yeah, was a bit of a virus stumble, didn't you? Yeah. Bit of a, bit of a long haul. Yeah. Um, but on the trip I was messaging and, oh, good spirits. So I'm kind of really into it. And Nicole's like, are you doing this just to hang out with Ned? <laughs> Here we are. In, 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 in like a, a very affectionate way. There was no narkiness to it. And I was like, I think I probably am actually. <laughs> Accidental tourism. Well, just before Ned. the pod, I've gone off to get some Turkish delight and some crisps, haven't I? Oh, happy you know days. What I mean? Have yeah. you seen the Turkish delight I've got? Well, I haven't. That's great. proper. That's yeah. not like the, the corner shop. That's all right. UK yeah. stuff, is it? Um, so, Ned. Yeah. Can you perhaps try and regale us a little bit with what you... Um, regaled me with yeah. in a cafe this morning regards Turkey and the last and hundred years yeah. yeah in the last hundred years I bet bits and pieces I can and I'm sure that you know our better informed listeners will pick me up on details but broadly speaking what really interests me for various different reasons at the moment is um, a, a kind of fracture line in history that um, for one reason or another I've spent a lot of time looking at in detail over the last year and that is the aftermath of the Great War, the aftermath of the First World War, mm. where, you know, this, you know, if you kind of, if you read the conventional narrative from the British perspective about what that meant, the, the Great War, and why it was the brutal introduction of modernity, you know, and mm. the end of the Ancien Regime and all this sort of thing, why it was so significant from a British perspective, Western, sorry, a Western European perspective, people focus on the collapse of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Yeah. After hundreds of years of control yeah. from Vienna, it finally fell apart. Mm-hmm. You know, the advent of, um, <clears throat> of of a new Western European world order in that sense. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the only, you know, the really important thing to understand because we're living with the consequences of this much more than we're living the, with the consequences of the collapse of the uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire. It was simultaneously with that, the Ottoman Empire collapsed. So, uh, so the Ottoman what, what Empire... was Persia? No, 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 no. no, no, no. Is, where's Persia? No, Persia. Yeah, Persia is what now is known as Iran. I mean, they are okay. ethnically, linguistically, and religiously completely yeah. separate mm-hmm. identities. Although Persians occupied this coastline at some point, didn't yeah. they? After the end of the, the fall of the Roman Empire. So, what, the, but the, Ot- the Ottoman, Ottomans, the Ottoman Empire, Ottoman Turk. Yeah, it, the, the yeah. Ottoman Empire, um, with its capital in um, latterly in Istanbul. Uh, at various different points, swept right up into into Europe, pushed, battled the Austro-Hungarian Empire, pushed them right out of places like um, Bosnia and Herzegovina, which is mm. why there is a residual still there Muslim population mm. in Bosnia, for example, exactly. and 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 you know would periodically through the centuries raid up through Romania and Bulgaria and into Hungary mm-hmm. and places like that, get pushed back by the Austrians. And then to the south of their borders, you know, it's kind of spread right the way through the Middle East, what we think of the Middle East and North Africa. Mm-hmm. It was a colossal and important empire for a long time. But the First World War was its definitive end. Mm-hmm. And um, Is that why it was called the Great War? I guess so. Finally just... Think how much changed. Uh, yeah. You know. Rather than this, the scale of loss, it was more the scale of change. 
the scale of change is exactly yeah. is exactly yeah. it. the maps being the maps yeah. literally being re- redrawn by the yeah. victors you know um so the allies then sat down and the allies were principally france and london and britain you know mm-hmm. but although uh, fighting the same war on the on the same side with the italians we'll come to that because that's got a really interesting part to play in this but they they principally france, france and britain redrew the map of the middle east took Lands that had belonged, been part of the Ottoman Empire and drew straight lines but that are problematic to this day. Red pens on a map. Red pens on a map. So we're talking Palestine, we're talking mm-hmm. Syria, Lebanon, Iraq. Red pens and a ruler. And a ruler. Yeah. yeah. Just straight line and do fine there. It's just desert. Mm-hmm. Separating tribes and people mm-hmm. and religion, you know, community. So um, what they did with what we now think of as Turkey um, was, it, that was more complicated, but the British had a zone of control. Um, the Greeks who weren't officially allies, they weren't at the, at the table at the Treaty of Versailles, etc. Um, the Greeks then reclaimed large amounts of the Turkish coastline that had historically been Greek. Hmm. Um, and, and More and, historically than most. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, all, and all of that. And then, and the Italians, having fought the Austrians in the Dolomites mm. and been on, you know, they'd entered the, the, the Great War in 1915, I think, they decided to fight the Austrians. I think they lost a million lives as well on that front mm. line. They're suffering a bit immense. They got slightly kind of, they got, well, they definitely perceived as they got a raw deal mm. out of all these settlements in the, specifically in the Middle East. And they didn't get a big zone of control or anything like this. Mm. But one of the things they got was Antalya, this city. Yeah. Mm. So for two, three years, they occupied Antalya from 1919 to around about 1922, I think. Can you position for our listeners where Antalya is on a map? Uh, so Turkey kind of, you'd have to close your eyes and imagine Turkey, but it's the south-facing coast of Turkey. It looks into the Mediterranean facing south and it looks towards Cyprus, if that makes sense. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Italy's... Italy is, yeah. I mean, you've got to hop over Greece to get to Italy. There you go. So it's Italy, Greece, Turkey. Yeah. 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 Although the Roman Empire was here for... Mm, Antalya well. was a was a Roman port, mm. so there is you know ancient yeah. cultural kind of uh, legacy there. Um, anyway, the, the, the Italians were given Antalya. At this point, then the, the Turkish War of Independence was starting to be waged against the occupying forces in Turkey, and the um, general who had uh, commanded the troops at, uh, successfully at Gallipoli against the Allies was Ataturk. Yeah, who's this towering figure in, in, in mm. and continues to be to this day in Turkish political life, and um, he uh, he was pushing back with his um, armies against specifically the Greeks, really dri- mm. driving them out bloodily, as it happened in Smyrna, in particular, where there was a massacre where they set fire to the city, mm. surrounded it, besieged it, and drove tens, if not hundreds, mm. of thousands of people to their death. Mm. Just on the Gallipoli yeah. thing, so I think this is something that people, the modern generation, won't realise. That was the downfall of Winston Churchill. He was the Lord Admiral of the Royal Navy at that time, and his tactic was to go in hard with the fleet on Gallipoli, using majority of Anzacs, and it was a huge failure. And he spent twenty, thirty years out of the system because of that huge failure it was a massive miscalculation yeah. yeah i mean the point being that they wanted to sail through that they wanted to claim the control of the straits of the dardanelles mm. straits mm. that lead from the mediterranean into the sea of marmara yeah across the sea of marmara to the bosphorus straits to istanbul mm. and dismantle mm. the ottoman empire yeah at its heart at its core and they were seen off at the very first line of defense the, the dardanelles straits where they tried to land at gallipoli and do you know the other thing that's quite interesting about that, David, is for, for very obvious reasons, because it was the, the scene, I think we may have spoken about this before, but the, the, because it was the scene of such horror for Anzac troops, mm. it is deeply associated to this day with Anzac loss. Completely Gallipoli is like a, a national day. In- Gallipoli is, is and yeah. you know, yeah. many people go there at dawn. Mm. Once a year, around Matt springtime, White's, isn't Matt it? White's been there. Yeah, to pay respects to the, the fall mm. of Gallipoli. So I'd always thought of it as very much an Anzac story. Mm. It was an Anzac story, but not just. It was Winston Churchill. N- well, not, not, not just in terms of the lives lost there, 
Yeah. Oh, when the Turkey. tour of Turkey yeah. took me there a few years ago, accidental tourist. Yeah. And I walked amongst all the, the war memorials up there. I realized oh, that 15,000 Irish had lost their lives there. 30,000 yeah. French had lost their lives there. Similar number of British soldiers, mm. all of whom I think is a higher number than the number of Anzac soldiers yeah. who died. So it's, but I suppose in percentage of the population. And also in the percentage, you know, been, French yeah. lives were primarily lost in Verdun mm. and the Somme. British mm. lives were lost in the Somme, you know, so it was a, yeah. a, a detail in the Great yeah. War rather than the scene. Yeah. Anyway, that was, that was Ataturk. 80,000 Turkish troops lost their lives. So Ataturk, you were saying this morning over breakfast, you know, our, our tandem ride coffee, he <laughs> was, like many of these leaders, sadly of that time was brutal, but also innovative. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Yeah. And he wanted to break Turkey free from the... He's a, he's a very modernizing, very forward-thinking yeah. leader. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So he decided that the Cyrillic... I don't think Cyrillic's the right so, word, Cyrillic, but he, but, you he, know, he turned, yeah. he turned um, written Turkish into um, the Latin alphabet. Okay. So that it could be part of the world, you know, in that sense. Yeah. Um, so he, he saw thought. the future. Yeah, and he yeah. created a secular state. So the mm. Turkey, so the, the Republic of Turkey was founded in 1923 in October mm. when he successfully. But here's the interesting, coming back to Antalya, and the Italians now are in control in the aftermath of the First World War, mm. Antalya. Now, they had big beef with the Greeks. They mm. had beef with the Allies because of this, um, I think the phrase is Vittoria Mutilata. So our mutilated victory. In other mm. words, we did not get the spoils of war that we deserved for our suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mussolini played very much into this grievance. Mm -hmm. and, you know, he came to power in 1922 as well. Mm -hmm. As did Adolf Hitler. Uh, no, Hitler. In 33. Yeah. But yeah. Hitler, 1923, Hitler, Hitler um, did the beer killer putsch. You know, mm -hmm. so these figures yeah. are emerging all simultaneously yeah. with one another. Franco. Yeah. Oh, out of my depth there. <laughs> um, 36. Um, yeah. But anyway, so... So the Italians were left untouched by Ataturk. He did not. He didn't um, forcibly take Antalya back from the Italians. In fact, quite the reverse. He did a deal with the Italians, and the Italians landed weaponry and armaments and support in Antalya, huh. so that Ataturk could fight the Greeks. Wow! And um, and when the final kind of reckoning was made and the Republic, the Turkey Republic was declared, the Italians left. But they did a deal with Ataturk and they were granted certain territories. Hmm. Um, and I don't know what happened to that, but they were granted a series of 50 islands off the Turkish coast, hmm. um, which I think 20, 20 of which were uninhabited, but, you know, the other things. So hmm. they've got this, I think it still belongs to the Republic of Italy. Huh. Yeah. So, so, and again, I'm, <laughs> that I'm, was really long-winded. I'm going to do a stupid question not again. not particularly funny. No, no, but it's good. It's, yeah, it's, it's funny history is good. a funny podcast as well. No, no, we can do that. We can talk about... Um, uh, what would be funny today? We have a, we had a brilliant um, producer on it talking to us, or yeah. director on that here today. But well, we had a funny meeting with her before we went on. Oh, we did. Oh, that was brilliant. We met in the lobby. Met in the lobby. And she said, she said, can we, because we hadn't met really, and she's been one of our points of contact mm -hmm. coming over here. And obviously, yeah. listen, neither you nor I have a word of Turkish. It's humiliating and embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's, embar yeah. it's really embarrassing. Yeah. So we expect everyone to speak, speak English. And yeah. there is yeah. high level of English being spoken here, but the occasional misunderstanding mm -hmm. arises as it would do so we yeah can you describe what happened in the meeting yeah so she uh, called us down to to meet a couple of hours before we were supposed to talk commentary and we met with there was another woman there and we sat in the the sofas of the hotel lobby and she sat down next to you and asked you to explain what the words are for cycling um and i was honestly bamboozled because she's amazing but i didn't really know what she meant and so you sat there and you were amazing because you actually started giving her a school on what cycling the lexicon of cycling is and what the expectations it so, are it was so strange wasn't it because i didn't know whether she was saying how can i help you or she was saying can you help Can me? Can you help me? Yeah. And it kind of pivoted between the two. Uh, and she said, I'm going to be and also sitting... I didn't know why she needed to know this. It was so strange. And she said, I'll be sitting with the director and I'll be talking to, to you. Yeah. And I looked at you uh, and I was like, what are you going to what be you, saying what, to yes, us? Yes, why? What are why? the things and that, that And we, we did that for five, ten minutes. Yeah. Do you know what you're going to be talking? And, and 
Then it became apparent she'd never seen a bike race. Never seen a bike race. And that's when I started saying, okay, so here's two words. That's when your body language changed. Yeah, and I thought, you, I know what I'm doing you, you tilted towards her and became teacher Ned. And it was beautiful. <laughs> at, at, at about which point I said, Ned, I'll see you later. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but it was like, I suddenly realized I'd opened this massive can of worms. Because oh. I was talking to someone who wanted to know how a bike race worked. Full stop. Or needed to, no, not well, so I much. I love the first bit was you were saying, okay, there's going to be two things that will happen <laughs> when it comes on. There'll be some riders off the front, probably around five minutes. Also, I t- didn't I say four or five riders? Four or five. Four or five. You said four how, or five riders. How many riders were in the breakaway today? Five riders. Five riders. Uh, and uh, yeah, so four or five riders, a few minutes up the road, and they're called the breakaway. So and we'll the, say the word breakaway. Breakaway. We, that's what we'll say. And the big group behind is called the peloton. That's right. And, they're, and yeah, yeah. at which point I was like, Ned, I'm just going to go. <laughs> well, then, because then she went, then, see, she's obviously done a lot of kind of like, she, she, knew, more, and, she knew more than she was letting on. Because then she said, so they're ch- I so think she did. like chasing group one. And I went, no, no, she yes, did. No, she, uh-huh, she, now there could be a chasing group one. She was amazing. Because I think actually in hindsight. Head of the race. She, she, she was trying to figure out what the words were in English. Yeah, I know. Uh, but but uh, we missed that. And also... I did ask before I started off, have you done this before? I said, no. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I yeah. was like, this is going to be fun. Yeah. And then, and then, and then after you left, she looked quite unhappy. And what, what because I'd left? No, no, no. I don't think, well, maybe. I don't know. No, I wasn't no, rude. no, no, no. I wasn't, wasn't rude. rude. No, that was fine. But it hadn't been a satisfactory conversation. Oh, okay. And yeah, neither she, of us felt really like we'd nailed it. She did look quite, um, she looked like worried like, about the whole. Yeah, the whole great. day because we're stressing her out a bit. And then I said the thing about, by the way, could we have some printed start lists? Oh yeah, start lists. Start lists. What's yeah, that? Yeah, she said, "What's that?" And that was all kind of fraught, quite fraught. Um, and then, then we were seeing the history thing. She was showing the history thing on the phone. She said, "Oh, can we? Can you print that out for us?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, talking history. This is good. This is what's amazing about Antalya. It's got some of the most um, wonderful Roman ruins that oh, exist in the world. That was a belter, wasn't it? No, oh. where, no where was it? The one. It was a beautiful uh, one we saw. It was the amazing auditorium and a stadium next well, to it, a twelve thousand seater stadium. But it's exactly what you have in Rome. I mean, the Romans—they just got it done. That was it back there. I think that was it. That's, That's the it. One. Yeah. That's it. I so yeah. So this was the the ancient city of Perga, Perge, Perga, Perga was one of the most important towns of ancient Pamphylia and one of the most organised ancient cities in Anatolia. Besides its architecture, Perga was famed for its marble sculptures. Antalya Museum has gained the distinction of being home to richest sculpture collections in the world. I'm reading this verbatim, and it's actually very well written compared to the ASO. Yeah, absolutely. But you should see this. Google Antalya um, ancient city of Perga, P-E-R-G-E. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere as well, isn't it? It's just random, but it's kind of... It's mad when you see that. Yeah. It's nobody would do that now. Creating yeah. it's just in the middle of nowhere. Twelve thousand seater stadium. Yeah, that's and that stadium reminded me very Ben Hur. So like Ben Hur Stadium. When we're talking yeah. about stadiums like a Ben Hur. Yeah. It's like a, a very elongated oval, like a, yeah. yeah. It was basically for chariot racing. Very cool. Super very cool. cool. I've been to the one in Athens like that. Um where I think the marathon in the Olympic Games finished where Paula Radcliffe didn't didn't finish because she gave up. Do you remember that? No. She gave up. Something like Paula. Yeah. Paula. 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 So then, no, but then shortly before we went on air, we had a very, very late kind of sounds test, didn't we? Oh, oh no, yeah, first we had the whole, in our tiny little ice cream, but it's not, how would you describe it? It's like a potting shed. It's a very it's kind small of a potting, potting shed. shed. I didn't think we'd both fit in there. And no. we actually fitted in there fine. It, it was it was fine. But, but it's like it's hardest. Um, you kind of look at it and it looks like a phone box. <laughs> it kind of looks like a phone box is plonked on some grass. you walk in and you go, this is great. Oh, this is lovely. I love it. Snooker table Apart from here. the fact we were blinded by light. Oh, that was brilliant. Because it was just... They'd set... So they had a glass wall um, that was orientated to the south. <laughs> and the sun was just beating down through it straight onto the, everything was white inside white table white walls ding white paper and we had one very average monitor to work off that was just sitting in bright sunlight and was we had one job yeah. which was to watch that tv yeah we couldn't see it because no. we were like it was like looking at the surface of the sun 
because there was just light refracting <laughs> so said, through every but we angle. Did, we did make a bit of a issue of that and said really need to kind of black that out and they they totally understood straight away and, and but with about 30 seconds to go some yeah. bloke managed to get some paper from somewhere and gaffer it up to the outside meantime there was all sorts of cables running out the back of the the back door of our little commentary position so you couldn't actually close the back door because the cables were holding it open and the t- howling wind today was just flapping the desk around oh, and all you know all our papers were blowing wind. around and then we did the sound test with our colleague Mm-hmm. who has never really worked on a cyclic so she she was just constantly going david 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 talk david david and you're going i am talking i'm david 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 ned ned talk ned talk and it, this went on for a long time but somehow we got on air um just in time just in time yeah and it was good and, it was good and, then, and then what's amazing about this race and i for any of us our listeners you can go on youtube and find it i suppose look up tour of Antalya. yeah and um I mean, maybe don't. <laughs> no, do, no, do. no, 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 do definitely because it's, it's actually Ned and, uh, Ned and I just talking, commentating without direction or, yeah. or many responsibilities. Yeah, it was nice that. Wasn't it? Mm. It's like, there's no accountability. Yeah, no one's really gonna. No, it's, no. it's nice. Apart, I mean, from, apart from, Go on. there's always accountability. Yeah. Oh, Sam, Sam Gaze. Sam Gaze rides for, Alpsin Phoenix, right? He's and not British. He's he? listed on the start list as being a British rider, mm. and, and, and I, I will confess I don't know much about Sam Gaze. I, as, as, evidence, as was evidenced never by the fact that I ploughed on yeah. calling him a British rider, yeah. only to be messaged by uh, Amy Lauren Jones, who's her His. boyfriend. So she's a writer, mm-hmm. um, a very good journalist, lives in Girona, and she she messaged me. <laughs> I don't. To be fair, I'd already corrected myself because I'd been a bit unsure about it. But then I read her. You know. But that's that's also an interesting point about commentary is that sometimes you will say something because silence is not allowed. Mm. Um, well, it is. You're allowed to have pauses. Yeah. But you'd kind of got yourself. You were digging the hole already, <laughs> and so you just had to go with it. But no, there was. But then immediately, I the, then I then I, I took over because then I could so then see you scurrying around information. That's because you I was unsure. You were unsure. But know, you'd already let it out. You'd I know my British riders, and yeah. here's a British rider I've never heard of. Uh, so, yeah. I'm going, so that was the, that is why down. I went straight onto the internet. You let New Zealand down. I did. But then... And he's half Maori. He's half Maori. Jesus. Sounds interesting. Or he's of Maori descent, put it that way. Maori descent. Um, and half British. No, he's half British. But, I mean, most Kiwis are, in oh, the sense... big cool. No, no, in the sense oh, probably, that the majority in this, they've also got the union Trace their flag. family trees back. Yeah. If, I mean, I'm saying not Maori native population, but you know what I mean? Yep. So think, then yeah. you could have, if you'd really been not you, mm. you could have run with it and got away with it. But you like being correct. Well, it's, oh, it's, it's also disrespectful. Swear. Yeah, it's not good. It's not being good being wrong. It's very disrespectful. You know, it's very disrespectful. So I now know a lot more about Sam Gaze than I did um, before today mm. started. And that's the great thing, because you just acquire knowledge, don't mm. you, on route? But so, talking about, um, sorry, David, talking about, I did actually listen back to a little bit of our commentary, which is available on YouTube. You can find it. And I found this little um, sequence of um, this little debate we had about food, actually. I have to say, I'm often sort of, I don't know if, whether you've ever asked yourself the question, David, if you were restricted for the rest of your life, for whatever reason, to just eating the national cuisine of one country, my answer is always turkey. Is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Fresh fish. Oh, that's interesting. A bit of beautifully cooked meat, if you still eat meats, which I eat less and less of, but yeah. much more pertinently, uh, fresh fruit and vegetables. Rice, sauces, chilli, bit of spice if you want. It is good, actually. Very fresh tasting, isn't it? Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Oil, olive oil. I think I might go Thailand. Australia's quite good because it's kind of a fusion. Well, I don't think they eat pies, don't they? That's their national cuisine. I mean, that's a bit like saying British national cuisine is fish and chips. Well, it's like if you're a Philistine, you'd say that turkey's just about butter kebabs, but it's not. Well, no, it patently isn't. I've just listed lots of things. That's that I didn't saying. get. So I, you're just saying I, the same thing about I said about twenty-five things before I even got. I, had, I didn't get to Donna Kebabs. I had to wait till you're you said get, that. You're going to get abused now for first of all, you're denying 
New Zealand of one of their cycling stars, and now you're you're saying the Australian national cuisine is pies. Well, I was actually I've only been to Australia once, and no one warned me or told me about pies um, until I went to Australia, and I was staggered by how much of a national how much national pride there is invested in their pie Mm. culture and how good they are. They are very good pies. We, did you know that until you went to Australia? No, I didn't. There you no, go. No. They don't trumpet it, do they? It's not part of their no. global marketing campaign. No. Well, now we've got that sorted. Uh, the five riders have all come back together again. So look like Perry and Del Grosso actually probably just eased up and they weren't that far off the back. And they've managed to get back on, so all five are still there, which is probably to the benefit of them. Was off the back of us just jumping off, trying to almost hide the the mistake of Sam Gaze. Yeah, we tried to be very empathetic regards our knowledge, appraising pies, appraising Australian pies, the Antipodean way of life. What's the New Zealand um, cuisine? I never been to New Zealand. No, no, Where was I recently? Oh, so I was, I was riding, I, I went and stayed the night, went camping with Lachlan Morton on Monday night, and in Jerome, it's an 80k ride out, so I drove up and then rode down. I've got something I want to say about Lachlan Morton. Good. Um, and when, it's stunning up there, and Vitor, you know Vitor, who I does all Vitor. that brilliant, who is... Out. Oh, wait, Has I've been it? messaging with Vitor, because I want him to do a little... Has he done it? Turkish? No, he hasn't done it. He's too busy today doing chapter three stuff. Crazy. Right? Bastard. He's actually trying to make your business work, not yeah, doing good. stuff for the podcast, right? Okay. right? Um, but I said, I said, have you been paid? Has he been paid? I by gave you? it. I, I no, gave him said, the money. He and said, like, no, he said, he said, David keeps saying he'll pay me, but he hasn't actually got around to it. So yeah. I said, I, I'll mention it to him. I'll, I'll make sure. I'll make sure. I'll mention it to him. And then I said, no, I'll go one better than that, Vito. I'll mention it on the pod. So it's recorded so, now. I did this. He left before to go to Brazil. <laughs> I had the cash out, put it under his computer. Oh, oh it yeah. was ready to go. And he didn't tell me he was leaving. So what, what happened to the cash? And it was like three days later. I said, like, oh, bloody, I'll take that back then. And then I've just forgotten to do it since. And he's oh, only been, okay. back. He's well, only he been back a week. He didn't tell me that. So it was there. And I sent a picture because he left the studio. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, see you, Vitor. And I didn't realize he was rushing down to Barcelona yeah. for friends with dinner. Yeah. Because we were going to have a, like a kind of company dinner or something that evening, but he'd been off work for a week with COVID. COVID, yeah. yeah. So I'd, I'd put the, the money in an envelope under his computer oh, so, okay, in the studio, right. and it was well, sitting there. Okay. And so well, then I found out. So it was there. Yeah. I'll put it back. Dysfunctional inner workings of chapter three are HR. We need a, we need a better HR. <laughs> Actually, my wife's name. All right. So anyway, but and, so Lachlan Morton. Sorry, where were you? So I was up there, and uh, it's beautiful places. It's at sixteen hundred meters in uh, nearby Girona, Catalonia, kind of uh, foothills of the Pyrenees. And uh, Vitor came up. He rode up and stayed the night with us as well. And the next morning, woke up the crack of dawn because we were camping basically in a refuge, and came out and Vitor said oh my god it looks like New Zealand and Lachlan was like this does look like New Zealand where's Lachlan from he's Australian so he's kind of I think he's uh, Western Australian yeah I think he's he'll kill me Queens he's not Queensland he's inland Sydney Um, and I generally stood there and thought said is this what New Zealand looks like and they were both like yeah and I was like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. It's amazing when you're somewhere and somebody says, and I'd never kind of imagined New Zealand would look like that. So that's how little I know about New Zealand. Yep. Um, the fact that two people who know it said this looks like New Zealand. And I was like, well, that's a pretty cool place. Yeah. 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 does sound pretty good. Mm. Long way away. Super long. Chrysalis yeah. is an amazing book. The, the the person uh, who wrote the book um, about the killing flowers, what were they called? Uh, tr- what are you talking about? Uh, the person who wrote the book about the killing flowers? John Wyndham, the Triffids. Yes. The day of the Triffids. The day of the Triffids. So he wrote the killing a- flowers, brilliant. How did I get that? <laughs> yeah. So he wrote another book called Chrysalis, which is about apocalypse, the end of days. Okay. And how everybody ends up in New Zealand. Such it's a good writer, John Wyndham. Yeah. So oh, John goes to New Zealand. I read that when I was a teenager, when I was going through all my sci-fi and different reading books. And uh, that was an amazing book because it was similar to what we have now. You have this huge global 
pandemic infection. And New Zealand is the only safe place because it's the furthest from everywhere. Yep. And Chrysalis is the idea. Uh, it's a brilliant book. So that was a book that was not as popular as Day of the Triffids. Mm. But it was a it's a stunning book and very relevant now, actually. Um, mm. And it made New Zealand seem like, well, you know what? End of days, I'm going there. Yeah. 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 He's a good writer. Um, uh, I actually, I, you know, I was talking about the, the, the siege of Smyrna and um, the Greek, the massacre there earlier mm-hmm. in this podcast. I just wanted to mention a book by way of that. Uh, I think I'm right in saying um, there's a book called Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides, which is an interesting novel for all sorts of reasons, actually. But there's a passage within that that's part of the story which describes the siege and the massacre at Smyrna in graphic detail. It's it's very, very vivid Mm. prose. Um, And the characters are caught up in that. And uh, I read that a few years ago, and that was the first time I'd ever heard the word Smyrna uh, or even heard of that. Um, what does that mean? Well, that's the name of the city. Uh, Smyrna. 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 I don't know how to pronounce it really. It's one of those cities a bit like Antalya that's had many, mm. many different names over the years, you know, because it's mm. changed hands. Mm. Um, but it's one of those things that, you know, if you are Greek or you are Turkish, you know about Smyrna. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe less so if you're Turkish, but if you're Greek, mm. you know about yeah. Smyrna, you know. And like the Blitz. In London. Yeah, or the or do you remember in nineteen fourteen Coventry when, being destroyed. Not nineteen fourteen, twenty fourteen. Yes, exactly. But you remember in twenty fourteen when uh hundred years after the outbreak of the First World War, the Tour de France route. Well yeah, that was our first I don't know, twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. Yeah. Well you yeah. oh, maybe you weren't with us. No, because you were no, with us for three in, days in, in Yorkshire. But but yeah. you might remember that the, the route of the race, you know, kind of went through Flanders Fields and then Ypres. And, it went it went very closely. It started, I think, they rolled out yeah. from under the Menin Gate yeah, yeah, and things yeah, like this. Yeah. And that was very much Battle of the Somme. Yeah. Right? And so the British paid attention to that in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Belgians, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then, but, but then a couple of days later, we were in uh, we were in Verdun, or close to Verdun. Oh, and it was yeah. only then that I realised that what the, the Battle of the Somme and everything represents yeah. for the British mm-hmm. narrative, Verdun is, for the French, times 10. That's where um it's so interesting, you know. Two thousand and early two thousand Tour de France at a stage, that's where uh Jalobert did his Verdun. Finished in near Verdun. Yep. He attacked in the feed zone Dee. and on and ripped the race to pieces uh, <laughs> and destroyed everybody. Might have been two that might have been the the Mondia. But I remember afterwards it was I think in L'Equipe, must look it up, there was uh Jalabert uh, Verdun. It was like he destroyed the whole race. Right. And he'd like done his kind of finger up to everybody. Right. Maybe in 2001. Well, they invoked the spirit. They invoked of, the of spirit the, the siege of, of he Verdun. was like, it was, forget the rules. He yeah. attacked and it was the Lance Armstrong era. So the fact that he decided, oh, that was why something had happened. And he just went on a rampage and broke all the rules. And it was on the Verdun stage, yeah. which might be the reason he did it was because it, invoke so many memories for him as well yeah. culturally because he was a, a generation interesting. would have oh, interesting. I'll look it up afterwards and yeah. again that's accidental tourism accidental and another tourism. example of accidental tourism that Spacing relates to that is yeah. is when I when I went to see Jakob Moretzko win loads of stages in the tour of Taihu Lake eight stages he said something like that seven or eight in, a nine, eight. in a nine day stage mm-hmm. race um, or worst race I've ever seen worst race I've ever seen that was tour when, of Taihu Lake that's when we were messaging the whole time when you were kind of like super hot that was that was that was in Malaysia a couple. That was in Malaysia. Yeah, that yeah. was a couple of years ago. Okay, yeah. So that was. Like, I don't think we were really on messaging terms in 2015. No, I still still didn't know each other really. No, yeah. Certainly went sitting in a room like this, eating crisps and talking about this thing that I'm about to say, which is the thing that I'm about to say is this: um, the battle of <laughs> the massacre of Nanjing. The Japanese. Oh, yeah. That's you know about that? Savage, yeah. So for Chinese, in, yeah. the, in the Chinese history of the yeah. Second World War we're talking about now, mm. it's the biggest thing bar none. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, it is, their, yeah. it is their Hiroshima, their Nagasaki. The only thing the US have is Pearl Harbor. And the thing that they have is Pearl Harbor. Apart from the Civil War, which was nearly 170 years ago, which was the greatest loss they've ever had in war. Yeah. It was during their own Civil War. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, we all have our, our issues. Yeah. I mean, I have my own Pearl Harbors. 
Um, Lachlan Morton. Yes, tell me. I want to say this, and I don't mean I don't want it to come across disrespectfully. You you go on. I'm just going to say it. Mm. He reminds me. You know, I've you know I've written a book about football. You know, I was a football reporter. For yeah. A long time. I've always been fascinated by. Um, I don't know Lachlan, but oh, he's the most, I've he's seen a, his film. That uh, he's the most beautiful human. Oh, One of the most beautiful I humans I know. No, it's fine. He's uh, he's so okay. beautiful. He he doesn't care. It's right. fine. Yeah. I just find it really interesting. Like you get in football, you get people i remember going to the duomo in milan years ago mm. and seeing there were a couple of guys there <clears throat> who could do the most ridiculous things with a football mm. you know ball juggling basically yeah Catch it's not tricks <laughs> and there's a thing in brazil where you get this great um, tradition of futsal you know where they play with the, the smaller football like, in this kind of and they gotcha. the best futsal players have the most sublime skills it just takes so, your breath away just dancing, just a ball. And you happens. think, you think, wow! Imagine them on a team. Yeah, put them on a team. Put them on a football team. Put them on a football team like that. They they wouldn't have the impact. They wouldn't have that impact. And and yet, so Lachlan is for me in terms of road racing mm. a ball juggler. He's exact because you know because he's so he does stuff. He's he does stuff that catches the mm. eye. That is completely yeah. different, but with respect to his professional road mm. racing career, I think, and he's, he probably realised this over the you know the last few years of yeah. it. You know, he didn't make a huge, he didn't have a huge impact in any particular direction, did he, Lachlan? Not um, in the, the what we'd qualify as a, a performance world tour racer for world sake. So I shouldn't yeah. shouldn't decry yeah, that. Talent's but. insane, but <clears throat> I'll jump on that one because after our it was because Vitor was up there and we were talking. And he said, have you done Tour de France, Lachlan? He said, no. And and then I was thinking about this yesterday, actually, on my travelling. I was like, I need to motivate Lachlan just to do one Tour de France. Even, doesn't matter what the standard is, just go and do it. Because... What, what you mean, race it? Race it. What, so coffee this? Or? Well, no, no, he's on EF, Lachlan. Would, well, okay, so would he, could he could he be close to that team? Oh my to god, he's like he's such an, an amazing athlete. Oh, okay, it's whether well, he wants to or not, because right. he did his out tour last year, which was huge, his alternative tour, and yeah. and it was a little bit of me because I, I do love him to death. He's sort of a pseudo kind of little brother, and you think, well, when you're older, people are always going to ask you, "Did you do the Tour de France?" Maybe it's worth just doing it once. And kind of almost breaking his own rules. Because I don't think he wants to. But maybe he should go and do it. And I was thinking about this yesterday. And I was thinking, I must talk to Lachlan about that. And say, you know what? Screw it. Just just do it. Do the Tour de France. Just do the Tour de France. Mm. So at least you got to do it. and Because no matter what happens as a cyclist, whenever you meet anybody and say you're a professional cyclist, the first thing they'll ask is, you're in the Tour de France. And it's, it's again, it's like, coming to Tour of Antalya is a great privilege. Having the, the option to do the Tour de France is a great privilege. So I think I I might talk to him about that because I think well, in that great case, I value your judgment and your input there because I didn't know. I'll be honest, I didn't think he was at that level. Oh, he, he's one he, of the most amazing. I mean, he's one of the most phenomenal athletes that I've ever encountered. He made the decision not to take it down the elite performance. Yep. And to, he he loves riding his bike more yeah, than anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for him, Hence professional the, cycling is a vehicle for him to do what he loves. But he's yeah. been brilliant for that team. Oh, like he's, his he's, contract, he's, he's great, worth his... He's the greatest yeah. asset they have. Yeah. By far. Yeah. yeah. By far. So, yeah, so it's really interesting in that one. I think Lachlan Morton is in a... He's, he's years ahead of himself. Uh, but that was my little kind of protective thing of him in the last few days. I was thinking, you know what? It might be worth doing this. The only chance you're ever going to get to do this mm. is do the Tour de France. Mm. And you don't need to go and win anything. Just do it yeah. and experience it. Yeah. Accidental tourism. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm at the Tour de France by mistake. <laughs> yeah. I am really good for him. But that's just me being, uh, yeah, too much affection for him. There is a book called The Accidental Tourist, isn't it? Famous book. Uh, 
I can't remember much about it. I have read it years ago, but it, it does, yeah, kind of loosely relates to what we were saying. Mm. Anyway. So, regards to yeah. race, so ah, uh, five guys up the road, five guys up the road, and a couple of teenagers, windy. a couple of teenagers, yeah, yeah, yeah. teams we weren't. We're having to learn, just so people understand as well, because the in the professional peloton, the teams obviously often change their identities. We noticed probably two thirds of the peloton were blue today. Ooh, yeah. yeah. God, I mean, really unusually. Sometimes you get that in races, and it's a bit awkward. But I don't think I've seen a race ever with so much kind significant. Of, and they're really similar kits. Yeah, aren't they? yeah, that's a problem. And uh, so you had five riders that clipped off early. They got three different sprints. There was one climb, 42 k's from the finish. Yeah. Looks drastic on the profile. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't so bad in reality. It really wasn't. Really wasn't. Uh, wind was majority headwind. Uh, they got caught about 20Ks in the finish. But within that group, there was a couple of interesting characters. Uh, ben. Ben Perry. Ben Perry. Ben Perry, yeah. Was with Astana last year. Didn't quite, didn't quite work for him for whatever reason. He'd come through the Israel uh, Cycling Academy route where he'd been there for four or five years. He's 27 years of age, Canadian. Wasn't with Astana, uh, has dropped down to ride with Wiv Sungod, who used to be known as Canyon. Some great names in this race, by the way. Team names. Oh, yeah. Bingo Serge Powell. No, not Serge Powell's. Bingo, Bingo Powell's sources. Bingo Powell's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, there are some. It's the most cycling race ever. There are some crackers. Um, Team Corotec, they had a rider up the road in Giulio Massotto, 22 year olds, Italian. Um, Bodhi, Bodhi Del Grosso, who's Dutch. He was riding for the Abloch team, the Dutch continental team. He was in the breakaway. Uh, Moritz Kretschi, 19 years of age, riding for the Germany national team, managed by, David, who manages the Germany national team? Uh, Andre Greipel. No. Damn it. Bert Grabsch. Ralph no. Grabsch. Ralph Grabsch. Okay. Bert Grabsch's brother. Um, Moritz Kretschi actually rides for the Radnet Rose um, uh, road team normally, but he's riding for Germany today, age 19. And that, the Radnet Rose team is managed by Bert Grabsch, formerly of HTC Columbia, etc. And finally, the youngest uh, rider in the breakaway was Trim Westgard Holter, badly pronounced, I'm sure, making his professional debut at the age of 18 and getting himself in a breakaway, um, which is sounds really easy, doesn't it? But it's really hard. And uh, I would imagine, how would I know? How would I know? I've got no idea. Except I've spoken to plenty of riders down the years who've said it's actually really hard to get in a breakaway. It's really hard to get in a breakaway. It's really hard to get in a breakaway. Yeah. And he's managed to do it at his first possible, in his first possible pro race. Riding for Drone Hopper and Drone Giocattoli. Another great so name. Finally, and Drone Giocattoli. Uh, Savi. So Gianni. Gianni Savio. Gianni Savio. What the old free boss's hero, pseudo father. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what drone hopper is, though. Huh? I hope it's like a, a drone, right? Because Androni is a toy maker. Oh, is it? Yeah. Jokatali oh, means toys. Talk for two seconds. Yeah. Maybe oh, off somewhere. Um, and uh, and that's that's that. So David's just um, availing himself of the facilities in my hotel room. It's got dark outside. The mountains are now shrouded in darkness. The bay is. I'll just poke my head outside. Actually, see if a wind is still blowing. Yeah, it is. Still pretty windy. Check the forecast for tomorrow uh, to see if the wind is going to blow again because um, it's been it was absolutely howling today. Yep. And in the end, um, that's what happened. We had a winner and he yep. might well win again tomorrow. Was- At least tomorrow we'll know who's going to be sprinting for sure, won't we, for each team. They have a good name for their green jersey here. The green jersey. Oh, yeah. The climate awareness yep. jersey. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Climate change awareness jersey. Mm. Yeah. Seems a little bit off the back. Marechko kind of t- targeted that today, didn't he? Which seemed a bit disturbed odd. disturbed by that. Yeah. I think it was an accident. I don't know. We, he won it by accident. Yeah. Accidental, by accidental winning. Accidental winning. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> I won the jersey by mistake. <laughs> it's like, damn it. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, well, it's been that? very good, Ned. What's on the... Oh, can I just say roadbook? Let's talk about the roadbook. No, well, I've got not much to say about the roadbook because everyone knows about the roadbook, but I do say this. I think what you should do as well, cut this into the beginning. Oh, hang on, wait. I've got a WhatsApp from Vitor. Oh, legend. He is a legend. I thought it was a bit unlike him to say, I couldn't possibly do it today. I haven't got any time. He sent me a design. (laughs) It's genius. I love it. We're going to go with it. Um, The title of this podcast is going to be Never Strays Fark. Fark. F-A-R-K. 
And fark is a Turkish word which means difference. Mm. And that explains that. Um, roadbook. Looking for something red this Valentine's Day? The Roadbook 2021 is the ultimate red gift for this Valentine's Day. Available for a limited time only with free shipping. That's quite significant. And 20% off the book. That's quite significant as well. When you use the following code at checkout before Monday the 14th of February. RBLOVE. So R-B-L-O-V-E 22. RBLOVE 22. 20% off. Do it by Friday. Good night. No, no, no. Monday. (laughs) Monday. Monday. Which is Valentine's Day. Yeah. Monday the 14th of February. Um, Yeah. And uh, we'll maybe do another Never Strays Fark, hey? Yeah. Maybe tomorrow. Gather some more information. Quality. Quality. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.